to Sam and Jenny and, and Susan and Alan and just all of the team and our family ministry that made this past week so good. You know, one of the things that uh, about VBS that's incredible, uh, just so many moving parts that you got to put together. Uh, Pam and I were teaching the Bible story in the third grade. And we were just, you know, one cell of everything that's going on here. And it was just incredible to see the whole body. You had safety team, you had medical people, you had teachers and shepherds and missions people, recreation people, uh, snacks people, and it all comes together. That's the way the body is meant to work. And so it was a great week. the, the deal is, I, I, you know, the snack people, their, their role is, yes, snacks. But in the recreation people, theirs is recreation. But, you know, the biggest picture is we want to give glory to God by ministering to children through whatever we're able to do. So that's what keeps us all on the same page. So it was a great week, and, and we had fun. We made new friends, and, and uh, maybe some of you have come to Central today because your kids had such a great week, and, and uh, we're, glad, we're glad that you're here. Uh, happy Father's Day. Man, this is it. This is it. Uh, I, I really love Father's Day, uh, and not because I hear from my kids and get gifts or anything like that. That's not the case. Uh, I, I love to speak to men, and, and uh, ladies, you're more than welcome to listen in today, but uh, I love to speak to men. I, I just, when I look at, at the way God created, and he was so creative in the way that he created, I mean, I think about men, you know, men, maybe you've ever thought of it this way, but we are professionals. Uh, we are called to be professionals. And, and, and I think that professional, I, I look at it this way. First of all, we were created as men to procreate. We are called to procreate. And that means that we have little ones. And little ones, not in our image, but little image bearers of Christ. That's what we're called to procreate. So we're, we are called to procreate. Second of all, we're called to provide. We provide for our family. We provide for these little ones, for our, our wives. We are called to provide. And then thirdly, we're called to protect. We are called as protectors. We protect uh, our home. We protect our family. We protect by creating a godly environment and we protect from what comes into our home and into our lives of our family. So we are called to procreate, we are called to provide, and we're called to protect. So we are professional dads. That's what we are. And uh, this is a good thing. This is the way God created us. And no wonder manhood is under so much attack today is because uh, if professionals are doing what professionals are uh, supposed to do, then uh, the world changes. 
I really believe that. And so we're called men to be professionals. And uh, today, I, I want to talk to us as men a little bit. And, and the reason I love to speak to men, I don't know uh, how many opportunities you know you have left as far as uh, speaking just to men, but uh, but I I identify my my wife has jokingly said before you could pastor just a church of men. I I love you ladies and uh, and everything, but I can identify so much with manhood, obviously, and uh, it blows me away how confused we are today about manhood and. Uh, Today, I just want to address some things, but I want to pray before I open God's word, just a moment. It hit me when um, Amy was leading us in that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We, we sing that with our mouths, but I wonder how much we believe that in our hearts. Oh God, we welcome you here. Let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God is present, you are no longer in control. And so I wonder, do we really pray that? And so I want to just stop our hearts and uh, uh, just pray for a moment. Father, you are our good, good Father. And Lord, today, we're going to open your word and we're going to look at what you gave us. And Father, we have sung that your Holy Spirit is welcome here, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the, the Spirit of the one who gives new birth and the one who reconciles and the one who cleans us and the one who enables us to go and conquer and to be bold. But Lord, we've, we've sang that with our mouths, but I wonder if our hearts are truly wrapped around that. But Lord, I want to voice it again, that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And the Lord, we, we want to see you do what only you can do. Because Father, our world needs to see men of courage today. Men who are bold and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us, encourage us today, I pray, Lord. I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 7, if you would, uh, right quick. Acts chapter 7, let me give you some background, and then I'm going to read the passage. Uh, the New Testament church has been birthed. Holy Spirit has come, the church is birthed, uh, we're seeing many, many, many come to a relationship with Christ, and uh, they're finding forgiveness, they're finding wholeness, completeness, and uh, what happens is, is that they started organizing things, and with that organization came some headaches, and so they elected some men to handle the day-to-day -day operations of the church. And there was a guy by the name of Stephen, okay? And Stephen, this is the definition. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
I mean, man, can you imagine that on your tombstone? That uh, people recognize something different about you. And that's what it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. So he is encountering this group. And uh, these are, are, are uh, Jewish people that probably the same ones that have been responsible for Christ uh, being crucified. But he is speaking to them. And uh, he goes into a history lesson. It's a sermon, but he goes into a history lesson. He goes back to the birth of the Jewish nation and how that they, uh, Abraham came and Abraham went and Abraham came back and then the people ended up down in Egypt and they ended in slavery and God arose this guy by the name of Moses, okay? Now, I want to concentrate on this man, Moses, just a little bit. And uh, I want us to see how Moses went through these seasons of life. And, you know, we go through seasons. We have four seasons when it comes to the year. Uh, and, and I'm going to say this to you that have moved here this previous year, and uh, this is your first Texas time here in June. This is not summer yet. Uh, this is preheating for summer. But yet a year has seasons. You have your winter season, uh, those couple of days we call winter. And, uh, but some of you, we, we got a winter season when things are dormant. And uh, then along comes the spring. And spring things birth. And uh, if you've been around here in the spring, it's the most gorgeous time of year spring when things are growing. Then we have summer when things uh, might die off and we see the heat come. And then we see fall and uh, the changes that come with fall. And you have these seasons. I think we go through seasons of life. Uh, not everything is fast growing. There's times when things are dormant. There's things, uh, times when we struggle in th uh, through things. We go through seasons, and, and I want to talk to you about Moses and his seasons, and I think it parallels many men especially, but it's not just men. It parallels seasons that we go through in life, and so I want to I grab your attention with that. And, but I want you to know some things up front. First of all, God is seeking men to be willing humble, and courageous to use for his glory and purpose. I, I want you to grab that. God is seeking these kind of men today. Secondly, God is patient in preparing men to be used. And sometimes we are impatient, but God is patient in preparing us. He, he knows our limitations. He knows what he can do, and he works that out. And then thirdly is this. Sometimes, you're not going to like this. Sometimes this process of preparation is painful. But it's worth it. And so, for you wives here today, do not be impatient with your husband. And do not elbow him during my message 
today. Acts chapter 7, we're going to begin with verse 20, and keep your Bibles open if you would, so that we can uh, reflect on it. Acts chapter 7, verse 20, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. I study, my study is ESV, but uh, I wanted to read it, it's very readable here, and uh, let me use it. Verse 20. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months, and when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day... He visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that he fled, heard that, he fled that country and lived for, as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Let's stop. I call the first 40 years of Moses' life being man's man. He was man's man. And the other way I look at it is that he was running to something. We see Moses' life. You may remember and when you read it in Exodus that the reason that his parents had to put him in the, uh, a little basket and float him down the river, so to speak, is because Pharaoh was killing uh, infants two years old and younger. He wanted to destroy these infants because the Jews were so fertile and uh, having so many children that he wanted to uh, get rid of the, the, those born. And so after three months, they took this infant, put him in a basket, and he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was raised in the king's house. And so he had the best education. He grew up under the wisdom, it says in the scriptures. And notice in verse 22, it says, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. He was powerful in speech and action. What is Moses going to give as an excuse for God to not use him in a, in a little bit? It was because he said, I am not a good speaker. It says right here, he was raised in, in a mighty in speech and in action. He was wealthy. He was authoritative. He was a leader. He had an ego that would go with it. 
I think he was probably a good-looking guy. He probably, all the girls swooned at who he was. He was man's man. He was a man's man. He, this is what Moses was. He, uh, he was a guy that had all the qualities that everybody would look to thinking, that guy is most likely to succeed. You know, the, the guy in your high school that seemed to have it all, the good car, the, the looks, the athletic ability, the, everything that goes with it, you're thinking, that guy has it. He is a man's man. And today in our culture, we have uh, unwritten code of what a man's man is. And it's created some confusion. But that man is successful. He is uh, financially set. He has the right car. Uh, women uh, find him attractive. He's recognized by others. People look at him, and, and maybe some may say he's an, a sportsman or outdoorsman or he's smart, he's good with money, uh, he's a good manager, whatever. We have an unwritten code of a man's man, and we look at it today. But I want to submit to you that we live in a day where even though we have an unwritten rule about what a man's man is, Manhood is under attack majorly, and there's a confusion of what manhood is. Is a manhood uh, when a guy can vote, or is it when he gets hair on his chest, or, or he, can, uh, he can go serve in the military, or can drink, or he gets married? Does that make him a man's man? Uh, does that make him a, a man? We are confused in our day, and because of this confusion, we have a foundation problem. There's a foundation problem in that guys don't know, and they don't have a rite of passage. They don't have somebody to reach down to them and say, okay, you're there now. You're, you're there. And what has happened as well is there is increased prolonged adolescence. You do know that in our country, there's an adolescent period. But in, in biblical times, there was no adolescent period. When you turned 12, you became a man. You, you, you put aside childish things, you are now a man. You go to work, you get your education, you go on. There was not an adolescent period. But here in our culture, in our, 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 our Western culture, there is an adolescent period. Some people say, well, it's from the tweens through the teens, and that's the adolescent period. Maybe that used to be, but today it can stretch mid-20s on into 30 because we stretch it on out because uh, overcoming adolescence, we think, okay, you take on responsibility now. So there's a bit of us that says, I don't want to take on that responsibility yet. I will in time. So it stretches on out and we see a confusion about when a person identifies himself as a man. And, and a previous generation, I, th I think this is what we see in a, uh, past generations and it's in some cultures today. There are rites of passage where you... Uh, actually have a ceremony of some sort where you 
okay, you're stepping into manhood now. I remember when uh, my son turned 16, we had a blessing party back in those days. You know, you know he's 39 now, so uh, this was going way back. And so really had to think on how we was going to do this. So I let him invite. No peers, no peers could come, just men that had an influence on his life. And they came and they spoke life into him and then they blessed him. And, uh, you know, uh, did he, was that a rite of passage? I think it was part of his rite of passage because now he felt uh, a, a, a relationship with grown men that he could carry on a conversation. It was good for him. And so, uh, but we, yet we live in a day where man's man is out there, but he is confused. And Moses was man's man. Now, let me go to the second 40 years of his life and look at, uh, look at verse 29 again. When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived for a foreigner, lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. As man's man, you are building success, right? You are working. You're getting your family together. You're doing everything to get your education because you want to get to that point of uh, stability. You want a house. You want cars. You want, you want to do it all. You want to be man's man. You want to pursue that. You're running after these dreams and visions. Well, what happened with Moses is the next 40 years came. The next 40 years, I consider he was nobody's man. He was nobody's man. And the way I look at it, just as man's man, he was running to something. As nobody's man, he was running from something. Notice, he was running for fear of his life. And he was running to the point he's always looking over his shoulder. He's wondering, is somebody going to get him? Is, is his past going to catch up with him? You know, many men live under that. They live in guilt and shame. Is my past going to keep uh, catch up with me? And you're going to have uh, many men who fall into depression and they, they're struggling with life. They're insecure because they're always looking under, over their shoulder. Secondly, he was in the m most mundane of mundane jobs. He was watching sheep by himself out in a wilderness area. And if things couldn't get any worse, he had a father-in-law who's probably thinking, oh, Moses isn't going to mount anything if I don't give him a job. And so what he's watching sheep for his father-in-law. He's... He's working in a family job, mundane, no vision, no dreams. He's out there just doing um, the most mundane of mundane. You know, many men have found yourself there. If not, you might get there someday. You know, it's one thing to be man's man and be arrogant and egotistical about that. But when you come become nobody's man, it usually comes out of failure. Maybe it was a failed marriage. Maybe it was a failed 
business venture. Maybe it was uh, uh, somebody come in and give you the pink slip and you get laid off. And, you know, those things that you'd built up and you climb the ladder of success only to find that it's on the wrong building, right? And you, you feel this failure. And as part of that failure, you, you think, oh, God, where are you? You've left me. Uh, and many men walk away from their church or they walk away from their family or they uh, find themselves with this deep wound of some sort. And so they, uh, they jump into fantasy realm, addictions, whether they be drugs or alcohol or pornography or gambling or something. They just want to numb the pain of just existence. And people think, well, when does that happen? Is it like midlife crisis? Maybe it is. You can't put a date on it. For Moses, there happened to be 40 years as man's man and 40 years as nobody's man. And some of you men may be there today. I would say that uh, uh, you men that are there but in you're here, I want to pray encouragement upon you and, and we'll get to the next step. But I think many of these men who have become nobody's men don't feel uh, that they can come in and worship. I've tried the God thing and that didn't work. That's what they feel. And Moses went through that as nobody's man. He, he had no confidence, no ego, and he was unfulfilled and he lacked purpose. He lacked that why in his life. He, I'm sure he was bored and he was fearful. But this is what I love about God. Sometimes he needs to rattle your cage to get you where you need to be. I know some of you are woodworkers here and, and you work with wood and you know if you don't get the splinters off, you got to sand it down to be able to use it. God is the same way. Sanding is, is not always pleasant. But God may need to do some sanding on us men to get us usable. And so we come to the last 40 years of Moses' life. Look at verse 30. For 40 years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. And we know that when he got back to Egypt, they had the plagues and then the death of the firstborn. They left. And you remember that Pharaoh chased after them. They crossed the Sea of Reeds. And uh, then what happened is they, they got across on dry land, but Pharaoh and his army come along and the waters come back in and take them out. So we see that uh, for 40 years, Moses was 
man's man and he was running for something, running to something. The next 40 years, he was nobody's man and he was running from something. I see the last 40 years of Moses' life is he was God's man and he was running with someone. He wasn't running just to run on his own. He was running with someone. God revealed himself to him in a burning bush and Moses trembled. Man, I don't know if we tremble enough. We don't tremble enough in the presence of God. He learned holiness and purity. You see what the scripture says. The Lord, the first thing he spoke to him was a, a, a warning shot. Take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. You're going to be consumed here. You better take those shoes off. But also, this is what I love. He, lo he learned humility. It says in Numbers, the, in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, verse 3. I love this. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. No more ego. He had no more ego, guys. He, he came to the point of humility that his life was in God's hands. And he was humble. But another thing, he was courageous. He was courageous. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, when we uh, see the Hall of Fame of Faith, it says that it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Here's the deal. Moses met with God. He knew that God was in control. He was not going to fear any earthly king. And so what he chose to do, instead of putting his eyes on an earthly king, he put his eyes on the invisible God in his kingdom. And it gave him a courage that was beyond anything he could ever imagine. And so what happened was, he did not fear the one that could take his earthly life. He feared the one who he was going to stand before one day. And what happened is he became the ultimate servant. He became the ultimate servant. The one who was egotistical and said, don't these people know I'm in charge? To, I'm going to love them and I'm willing to lay down my life between God and he wanted to destroy these people. I'm going I'm to be on my face before them. Let me tell you, that's incredible. Men, you're either man's man or nobody's man or God's man. That's, that's what it boils down to. And I, I tell you, there are some men that I know who are incredibly godly men. And I want to tell you three qualities that I see in them that I also saw in Moses. These men uh, and the impact they made. Number one was what I just said. 
They fear God more than they fear man. They fear God. They, they don't fear God in that, in that uh, they feel guilty and shame all the time. They fear God in that God is in control. And guys, we put our eyes on earthly things way too much. We think a president is going to fix it. We think a government is going to fix it. We think this is going to fix it. No, 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 no. We put our eyes on God because we fear him more than we fear man. The second thing I've seen in godly men that I, I just am awe of is they live for a purpose beyond themselves. They live for a purpose beyond themselves. They, they don't live, yes, many of them are successful. They've made money. But, you know, I think the reason God has entrusted them with money is that they, the, the money doesn't own them. They own the money and they give it away. I, I see that all the time. But they live for a purpose beyond themselves. They know that they're professionals. They know they've called to procreate godly images. They, they know they're called to provide. They know they're called to protect. And they fear God more than they fear man, but they live for a purpose beyond themselves. And the third thing that I've seen in godly men that I know is they realize in the mundane of life God may have a divine encounter. You know, Moses was just out watching sheep day in, day out. But what happened was is that in the mundane of life, God showed up. And godly men I've seen recognized that in the day in and day out of life, God was going to show up. And he does show up. Problem with so many, and I find I'm in this rut, I just get in my rut, and I do my daily thing, and I get it, get it done at the end of the day. We sit down, we may watch TV, we may just go to bed and go and do the same thing over again. And I look back and think, oh God, did I miss you in the Monday? Godly men fear God more than men. They live for a purpose beyond themselves and they realize God may show up in the Monday. Men, we're called. We're called to be professionals. We're and I ask you this today, are you running to something? I mean, you got earthly goals out there. And you're just running to those. Are you running from something? I know some of you may be running from some things. I, I, I know that um, uh, as a kid, you know, I grew up without a dad and, and, uh, and this kind of stuff. And, and the, the older I got, uh, I, I just looked for that pat on the back. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, just some man to give me a pat on the back and let me know I was okay and you're all right and, and because I, I didn't have a dad to do that. And, uh, you know, but I love my Heavenly Father in that uh, when I finally understood that He was my Heavenly Father, that uh, He not only patted me in the back, he, he crawled me up on His lap and said, hey, let's go together 
And so some of you men need to know that. But men, are we, are we running with someone? It's not up to us. He wants to go with us. That, Moses said, Lord, unless you go with us, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But you know how we're going to make it? Here's the, here's the deal. Every generation has their version of Superman. You know? Uh, Superman. Uh, Superman. Uh, everybody grew up with Superman. I read an article um, recently that they took the last phone booth out of New York City. What is Superman going to do? I, I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, if you're not familiar with Superman, Superman, what, his alias was Clark Kent. He worked at the Daily Planet, and uh, he was a, kind of a nerd, and Lois Lane didn't give him the time of day that he really wanted. Uh, his editor, and he got everything. Well, this is... This is uh, Clark Kent on a daily basis. But the bad guys show up, right? And so what the, when the bad guys show up, he runs into the phone booth or closet or somewhere. He takes off his outer garment, and there's an S, right? S on the spandex suit that he's going to. Uh, and he's going to go out to take those glasses off. You know, you just take the glasses off. And, and he'd go, and he would do it. And he would just you know, in that suit and go. You know, the reason, the reason that Clark Kent could do that as Superman is he wasn't from here. He wasn't from here. He was from another planet. And child of God, men of God, I want you to know you're not from here. You are not from here. You have been transplanted and your citizenship is in heaven right now and we have been promised that we can clothe ourselves in our s our our garments of praise our our we can clothe ourselves in the lord jesus christ and we can become world changers and that's what we're called to be men we're called to be god's men and somebody's i, I know somebody is out there and you're thinking mark i've blown it i've blown it uh i I blew it. Uh, uh, had a, and I see men of God, men in the ministry, just blowing it every day. Um, men who have uh, uh, extramarital affairs, or they get caught up in, in pornography or something, and it ends up costing them their position. And and you may be thinking, "Oh, Mark, I've blown it. I I've had a divorce, or." You know, whatever. I, I don't know. But guilt and shame is eating you up. I want you to know we have a God of grace. We have a God who's redeeming and reconciling. I have a friend who was a pastor in the area, and, and he, he got caught up. The enemy just perfect timing took him down uh, morally, and, and uh, uh, he confessed it to his wife, and... and and it ended up costing him his pastoral position. And uh, uh, he and I have gone to uh, lunch several times, and, and uh, his heart is just so right now. I mean, God is redeemed. 
And he said, I, I just asked him, just his helicopter thought on the thing. And he said, you know, I would wish that nobody would ever go through what I went through. He said, it, it was sin. It was wrong on my part. He said, but I want you to know we've gotten help and we've repented and God has reconciled us that our marriage is now better than it ever was before. And I thought, God, only you can do that. You can reconcile. And so some of you women are here today and you're thinking, oh, Mark, I can't forgive my husband. He, he's done some things I can't forgive him. Let me encourage you to not let that cement dry. Uh, give God a chance. Give God a chance. Last, last thing. We are enamored by dinosaurs, aren't we? Uh, we went and saw a Jurassic World and... Uh, I kind of walked out thinking, man, I, dinosaurs living among men, that's not realistic. Of course, none of, none of them were realistic, you know, to be honest. But, but uh, we're enamored by dinosaurs. And uh, we call things dinosaurs that are old and archaic. And uh, Pam and I, a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, we went to a 50-year wedding anniversary. And so I dropped her off at Walmart to get a, a card, and I drove around the parking lot. And, uh, and you men with me? Uh, and I'm driving around, and she delays a little bit, and then she comes out, and she said, man, you don't know how hard it was to find a 50-year anniversary card. And we just thought, man, that's a dinosaur in our day. But you know, a dinosaur in our day is a man who humbles himself before God. He loves his wife unconditionally. He, he tries his best to remain pure and holy before God. He takes responsibility. He provides and protects and procreates not his image, but little godly images that, that uh, follow after Jesus. This is a dinosaur in our day. And I want you to know, men, I want to be a dinosaur. If that's a dinosaur, I want to be a dinosaur. And I want to challenge you the same. I want you to bow your heads with me.